I always get nervous when I, I speak uh, to God's people on behalf of our Father. Um, but I don't think I had the hardest job today. I think the hardest job was Steve's job transitioning out of that beautiful place of worship. I mean, just there's such a spiritual highway connection between anthem and heaven. Um, and I don't know if you know how privileged you are to be worshiping in, in this kind of atmosphere. I, I once heard someone say the most exciting thing that is happening on earth is happening in your local church. If God ordains the times and the places that we are to dwell and, and God has ordained you to be here in this place, not just in, 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 at Anthem, but in, in, in this region ordained by God and you found your place here with the saints that, that, that gather as Anthem Church, then this is, has to be the most exciting thing that you are a part of because we are a representation of heaven on earth. We are the vehicle that God is using to usher in the kingdom of God. How many of you believe that Jesus is coming back? If we believe that Jesus is coming back and we believe that we are instruments of that, a vehicle of that, then this has to be the most exciting thing that we are a part of. Now, I know that you have careers. I know that you have families and marriages and, and relationships and, and, and hobbies. And I know a lot of those things are awesome. And uh, maybe you know, your experience with church has been kind of like dreary and, and, and kind of you know, cumbersome. But I'm telling you, when we grab a hold of what Jesus is doing and, and are truly a part of, of heaven on earth, it's power. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know if you're experiencing that. It's just heaven on earth, this direct channel between us and God, I mean, the, the holiness of God, the declaration of, of who he is, us posturing ourselves in reverence for a holy God. Um, my, my father was a, was a nightclub singer before he got saved. And one of, one of the things God used to kind of pull him into the church was worship. You know, he, he had a gifting of worship and he used to sing this song about the lordship of Jesus, and the song was called Jesus Be the Lord of All. Maybe some of you have heard it and know it. It's not by him. He just sing the song. Um, but this, this song says, if he is not Lord of everything, then he's not Lord at all. And, and as we were worshiping today, I just before I begin to say anything that the Lord has given me for this morning, I felt like each and every one of us have something to cast before the King of Kings. Some of us need to lay down our crowns. And I don't know what crowns you're carrying. I don't know what accomplishments you're carrying. Or I don't know what, what type of, you know, kind of earthly honor that you might be carrying. But I believe some of us need to cast those crowns before the Lord. Some of us are carrying pain. And, and, and I, don't, I don't know what that pain would be for you. I know what it's been for me. Pain and brokenness and these things that we, we, we carry as banners. They become our identity. This is my pain. This is, uh, you know, this is my brokenness. And we carry them as banners. And if you know anything kind of about like, uh, you know, giving homage to a king, whenever there were smaller kings in the reign of bigger kings, and th they would bring their banners and they would lay them before the high king. I believe that we need to weigh, place those banners that we've been carrying, this alternative identity, and lay it before Jesus. And I really believe that maybe as I'm speaking, the Lord will 
reveal some of those things to you. Reveal some of those crowns, some of those banners that need to be laid before him. Because if he's not Lord of everything, then he's not Lord at all. Because one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Amen. So Lord, as I speak, may my words be laced in grace and truth, rooted in your word, delivered by the power of your spirit to touch the minds and hearts of, of your children. Those who have acknowledged their sonship, their daughtership, daughtership, and those who are yet to respond, God. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a, there's a man in the Bible we find in, in the book of Acts, and his name is, his name is Saul. Many of you guys might, might know who this man is. Uh, he was uh, called Saul of Tarsus. And he was a driven man. He was, he was a man of passion. He, he, was, he was a respected man, but he was a man who was feared uh, because of the way he carried himself on the earth. He was, a, he was a confident man, and he was a man on a mission. In, in Philippians chap, chapter 3, uh, the, the, the words about Saul of Tarsus say this, he, he was a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. He was, a circumcised, he was circumcised at, at eight days. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a proud Hebrew. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And if he, you know, us guys would be like, he's, he was a man's man. You know, he, was, he, was, he was one of those top-tier alpha males uh, in his sphere. Uh, he upheld the strictest obedience to the law. This is speaking of the law of Moses. He upheld the strictest obedience to the law listen friends without fault if you were thinking about this in in, in the natural I mean he he this dude would be perfect <laughs> you should look at someone someone who has it put together someone someone who, who man he's carrying authority he's on a mission this is a, a, a man to be respected and and he found his identity in his community he was he was a Hebrew he was a Jew and he was a Pharisee, and the Pharisees were, were religious leaders. And if you know anything about, about um, Jewish culture, they, they were a, a, a theocracy. They were people who, who were led by the principles of God, but you know, eventually it was, it was kind of hijacked by this, this rule of priesthood. And, and the Pharisees were that religious rule over the people at the time. And he rose to the tops of those ranks of his community. Uh, we, first, we first see Saul in, in, in Acts chapter 7, um, and he's introduced to us just very obscurely, but it's mentioned intentionally by the Holy Spirit, that as Stephen, the, the, the first martyr we see in the New Testament, is, is being stoned for preaching the gospel. He's being, he's, he's being killed by the high priest council because of the way that he spoke about Jesus and as these priests came to stone Stephen, it was Saul of Tarsus, a young man at the time, who stood there and they all basically laid their cloaks at, at Saul's feet as they went to stone this follower of the way, who was Stephen. And in the opening of, of Acts chapter 8, we read that Saul approved of Stephen's murder. And Saul approved of Stephen's murder because Saul 
in his own eyes was right before God. He was living righteously. He was living at the top tier of his sphere of influence. He was living in the highest place of what he knew to be right. Saul proves of Stephen's murder. And I honestly believe that it was this experience of watching Stephen being murdered, being stoned by this high council of Jewish priests that changed Saul forever. As those cloaks were being laid at his feet by the priest. Uh, I, I really believe that, that Saul was marked by this experience in a way that he found his own mission. He, he found his own purpose. Saul not, Saul not only witnessed this stoning, but he adopted the persecution of Christians as his life's mission. Um, this would be his new identity. This would be the thing that he would cloak himself with. He would, this would be the thing that he would wear. He was now going to be the persecutor of Christians, those who were disrupting his way of life, those who were disrupting the Jewish high order. <laughs> and then we see in Acts chapter 9, the supernatural encounter between Saul of Tarsus and Jesus, the Messiah. Acts chapter 9, verse 1, if, if, if you guys have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, I believe they might have it on the screen for you. It says in verse 1, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. And his very breath was being used for the purpose of this mission that he felt he was called to. With every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he, um, that he found there. And he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Man, what a, what a trajectory of life. What a, what, a, what a place to find yourself in, that you're, you're marked by this experience you have and, and you couple that with your upbringing and you couple that with the community that you're in and this identity that you have found and you want to protect that and not only do you want to protect that but you want to advance that. And I think that happens to, to most of us. That we, we find ourselves on a trajectory in our lives. We find ourselves on pathways that, that have been shaped by our community, that have been shaped by our passions, have been shaped by our experiences. And we find ourselves on these roads and then we, ad we adopt these things that we become passionate about and, and we begin to give ourselves to these things. And I'm not saying that you guys have all become terrorists to the Christian faith. But this was Saul's story. And what I love about Saul's story is that there was a God interruption. It was a God interruption and it was supernatural. And, and I don't know if you can look back at your life and, and, and see where the God interruption happened. But for each and every one of us, there has been a God interruption. And I pray that each of you can look back at your life and you see that you were once on a trajectory. You were once uh, 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 following after things, chasing after things, pressing towards things, and then God showed up. But then God. 
Verse 3, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven. A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Wow, what a shift, huh? Saul, a Pharisee who knew Yahweh. And you guys have come out this wonderful series that's describing God and the gospel and, and, and just Yahweh. He knew Yahweh. Why are you persecuting me? I mean, can you imagine the shift or, or, or that, that it needed, he needed to, or that he was experiencing knowing that this, this God that he thought he was being passionate for was actually telling him you're doing the opposite. Why are you persecuting me? Fell to the ground. Why, why are you persecuting Sorry, verse 5. Saul asked this, who are you, Lord? Because clearly, he wasn't persecuting Yahweh. He knows Yahweh. <laughs> Who are you, Lord? And Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Man, these, these God interruptions that, that I think happen in our lives have to be these markers that we look back on. I see in the Old Testament, when you think of uh, when they set up altars for every victory that was being won as they were entering into the promised land, they were able to look back and say, there was a victory, there was a victory. There was something in my life that marked me. This is one of those moments for Saul. We have these moments. And when, when, when your life is on a trajectory that has taken on a life of its own, you know, maybe, maybe it's life circumstances that have set these things in motion. Maybe it's your environment that have set these things in motion. Maybe it's your choices that have set these things in motion. Either way, you look back and we have to ask a question, friends, is how did I get here? How did I get here? Can you imagine what questions Saul had to ask himself? Like, he thought he was being zealous for God. Now he's finding out he's persecuting God. We have to ask ourselves, like, how did I get here? And I don't know if you've ever ta- never taken, the, I don't know if you've ever taken the time to ask yourself that, but I believe even now there's a Holy Spirit moment to be had. If you don't mind just closing your eyes for a moment, you might be in a wonderful place with Jesus. It's still good to ask this question. But today you might be searching. Today you might be on a pathway that you're, you're, that is just, man, it's, feel like I'm on a, I'm on a conveyor belt and I don't even know how I got on this thing. Your life's been on a trajectory and, and I think we have to ask ourselves, Lord, how did I get here? Take a moment, ask yourself that. Allow the Holy Spirit. Maybe just to show you one thing. Show you one decision. Show you one circumstance. Show you something that contributed to where you are today. When, when I was 14 years old, um, there was a pretty significant thing happened in my life. My, my oldest brother was involved in some gang activity and was given a, 
a life sentence for a pretty violent crime that took place. It shifted, it shifted our family. It changed us. Uh, n- the 90s uh, in, in L.A., you probably have seen um, movies about gang violence. You've probably heard about what East L.A. looks like. And um, there's, there's, there's some of that. It's not, it's not all true, but a lot of it is. It's, it's, it's a weird thing to kind of describe. But um, high school years, uh, two of my closest friends that I grew up with were killed um, one was shot and murdered outside of his home, uh, 17 years old. One was killed after running touchdowns at a football game, killed after the football game. Just, just violence um, kind of all over. These, these things shaped me. Um, the, only, the only thing I knew to do was escape. There was no real plans for brown kids growing up in East L.A. in the 90s. There was, there was a pine box or there was prison. Those, those were the two trajectories for most of our lives even as a Christian kid you know my 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 Christian family was deteriorating we were we were unfortunately seemed like we were slipping away from the things of God and and so I had a choice to make and that choice I made was to try to put myself on a different trajectory and that so I I joined the Marine Corps 17 years old so I don't know if you know about the Marine Corps but Marine Corps they train certified killers that's that's what they do and so at the age of 18, I was a certified killer. Uh, by the time I get out of boot camp, I, I, I luckily got a pretty cool job. I, I was handling classified material. And so when you handle classified material, you got to go through, you know, kind of secret um, background checks. And luckily, I was still really young. I didn't have any, you know, really bad background. But I had been marked by so many things, and I had still been carrying so much pain as a young man, that some of those things began to surface in my life and began to wear this alternate identity. If you guys have been here over the weekend, you knew that I gave my life to Jesus as a child. And, but now, you know, 18, 19 years old, really far from God in a dark place. I was, I was drinking, I was with girls, I was uh, doing everything that a Christian shouldn't be doing, and now I was doing it as a proud Marine. I had this new identity. I had these new banners that I was carrying as, as, as a son of God. And I needed a God interruption. On my 20th birthday, um, I found myself standing in front of a colonel at a, at a general court-martial. I was looking at 20 years in federal prison for gross negligence pertaining to the national defense. 20 years in prison, so a place that I had joined the Marine Corps to avoid. And I remember throwing myself at the mercy of the court, you know. I mean, I was 20 years old, it's just weeping in my dress blues before this colonel. Yeah, I felt like a punk. <laughs> and I was. My life needed a God interruption. And I had to come to the end of myself. I had to come to the deepest pit of who I was in order to look back up again and say, Lord, it's only by your grace. Saul's life needed an interruption. He didn't know it, but he was in a dark place. He was persecuting God's people. And and Jesus phrased it like this, you are persecuting me. And I think sometimes we think that my life is my life and it's not hurting anyone because, I mean, it just affects me. What does it have to do with you? 
And Jesus wants to tell each and every one of us that it has everything to do with me because you're mine. Because your life was paid for. And, and, and maybe you've heard me say this in the past, but I, I, I mean, we as Americans, we love what we pay for. That's why we shop at Costco. Because if anything, if anything goes wrong, then we know we can go back to Costco and either exchange it or get our money back because we like what we pay for. I mean, I've seen people take back half-eaten cakes. And I don't know if that's just a Mexican thing, but some of you probably might do it too. It's not right. Don't do it. But God wants what he paid for. And the price that he paid was his son's life. His son's life given for you and for me. And so when we think, no, it's not affecting anyone. This is my life. These are my choices. This is my trajectory. This is my future. This is, this is my, my world. <laughs> and I think Jesus would remind us today that it's not. your life has been bought and paid for whether you have accepted that or been allowed yourself to be redeemed and that that word redeemed is like when you get you know I I was singing the other day I was singing the golden ticket it was just I don't know maybe it was because of this morning you remember Willy Wonka I got a golden ticket (laughs) that ticket needs to be redeemed in order to get the value of that ticket that redemption was your life. And until you allow, turn that ticket in and allow yourself to be redeemed by Jesus, you might not know what I'm speaking about, but I believe today the Holy Spirit, for some of you, will absolutely reveal that to you. You see, this, this title of being a Marine, for Marines, it's a proud thing. Um, you know, when you go through boot camp, you're, you're called everything but a Marine. You're called like a scab. You're, I mean, you're called worse stuff. It's really bad. Uh, and so, but uh, it's on the last day, the very last day of boot camp, when you are graduating boot camp, that you are actually given the title Marine. And as you're standing in a platoon of 600 young men or a battalion of 600 young men, and that executive officer stands up and he says, good morning, Marines. It's the first time we've heard it. And if you, you've never heard the worst response ever because 600 young men choked up, half crying, have just realized that they're now Marines. And it's this title that we, that we carry. It's this title that, 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 that defines us now. And, and when I was in that courtroom, it was that title that was being stripped from me. Same for Saul. Saul. The Pharisee of Pharisees, the persecutor of Christians. It was that title. It was that life's mission that was being stripped from him. How about you? What, is, what, what has been that banner you've been waving? What's been that, that, that name tag that you've placed across your chest? What, what has been the thing that Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not you. It actually needs to be stripped because you belong to me. Each and every one of us needs a God interruption. What happens for many of us is we, we find our identity, and even worse, we seek our identity in many things outside of God. We seek it in our families, which is a good thing, but it's not God. We seek it in our children. We seek it in our profession, our ministries, our, our good deeds. You, we seek it in our hobbies. We seek it in our sickness. We seek it in our sexuality. 
We seek it, unfortunately, in our sin. People being defined as their sin. This is who I am. Friends, seeking our identity in anything other than Christ is an empty, never-ending rabbit hole. It's a conveyor belt that just doesn't stop and you can't get off until someone actually pulls the plug or actually shatters that thing. Why? Because you'll never have enough success. You'll never make enough money. You'll never be the perfect parent or spouse. You'll never be the perfect son. You'll never be the perfect daughter. You'll never be the perfect Marine. Or in Saul's case, you'll never be the perfect Pharisee. After we look back and we ask this question, how did I get here? I think it will eventually lead us to another question. Is there more than this? Is there more than this? I remember Vanessa and I, we, we came to the end of our marriage very early on. and We were married maybe three years. And we were sitting in our car having this Jesus moment. And we were both at this place of how did we get here? How did we get here? And we had to ask the question, is, is, there, is there more than this? Thankfully, we came to the conclusion only with Jesus. <laughs> and that's the same for all of us in every areas of our life. Is there more than this? And the answer, I'm here to tell you the answer is yes, but only with Jesus. <laughs> because if there's more in the, in the same trajectory that you're on, then it's just going to be more of the same. When it's more of Jesus, I'm telling you, friends, there's a transformation that takes place. It's just not addition. It's a transformation, and then there's multiplication. This is who Jesus is. This is what God does. There was more for Saul. Acts chapter 9, we'll pick up back at verse 6. It says, Jesus says this, Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Saul the persecutor of Christians who was on a mission, who was calling the shots, was now taking orders from Jesus. Get up, and I'm going to tell you what you're going to do now. Verse 7, the, the men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. This is a supernatural thing, friends. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. Someone who was so self-confident, self-sufficient, independent now needed to be led by the hands of others who love Jesus. Or who, who would love Jesus. I'm sorry, I jumped my point. Number nine, he remained there um, blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Verse 10, now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias Yes, Lord, he replied, and the Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas, and when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. And he is pray praying to me right now. Verse 12, I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. Now listen to this, verse 13. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've, I've heard many people talk about this terrible, the terrible things that this man has done to believers in Jerusalem, and he authorized by the leading of the priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take a message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer 
for my name's sake. Wow, what a transformation. Someone being self-sufficient, independent, now needing to be coached by believers who he was once persecuting. But there's also this transformation of mission. There's this transformation of trajectory. Man, choosing the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, I think also means that maybe some of these giftings and talents that we have been given, that we have been using for other purposes, God is going to use for his glory. I mean, this man was clearly a mover and a shaker. But he was moving and shaking things in, in, in wrong spheres. And Jesus was now placing him on the right trajectory to move and shake for his kingdom. And now he was going to be bringing the gospel to Gentiles and kings. How many of you know that only Jesus can do something like that? So Ananias went and found Saul and he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might again regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell off Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And there's something beautiful that happens when people respond immediately to the gospel. When people respond immediately. We, we see in Acts this happen over and over again. And I know for some of us, like it was probably a long journey, right? Some of us like, man, it, it took a good season. And maybe you're in that good season of transformation. But for some, it was instantaneous. When you think about the Egyptian eunuch, and he, he heard the gospel being preached, and he heard about being baptized. And, and when Philip went and told him, hey, do you know what you're reading about right now? And he says, no, please tell me. And he tells him, preaches the gospel to him, tells him that you must repent, you must be saved of your sins, and you must be baptized. And so the Egyptian eunuch was like, there's water right there. Can I be baptized now? Yes, let's do it. Saul, scales fell off of his eyes, baptized, filled with the Spirit immediately. Only God. Only God. Maybe like Saul, some of you have had a radical encounter with Jesus. Maybe some of you this morning are having a seasonal encounter where God is revealing himself to you over a season. Saul needed to get knocked off his horse on his way to persecute Christians. I needed to find myself throwing myself at the mercy of the court. What is it God was requiring of you? Maybe God needs to put some scales on your eyes for a moment. So that you're just completely reliant on him. That that whole sense of being still and knowing that he is God. God is doing something amazing in the life of this church. But one of the things that I, I have felt so powerfully about Anthem in this last season is an activation of the priesthood. We see gifts in the lives of church that are called out and some set-apart ministry, elders, 
deacons, worship leaders, these people somehow in the church that, that the Lord calls to have, have some profile. But I'm telling you, the, the greatest force to be reckoned with in the kingdom of heaven is the priesthood. It's the force on the ground, the boots on the ground. You see, there's, there's, there's generals and, and captains and, and, and you know, they're, they're calling shots and issuing orders and God has or, you know, you know, ordained that in the kingdom. But I'm telling you, it's the boots on the ground that get the job done. And saints, you might not feel like a Saul of Tarsus. You, you, you might not feel you know, like a commissioned Marine. You might not feel like a pastor in the life of the church. But I'm telling you, when you have an encounter with God, there's a commissioning that happens. There's a transformation that happens. But we have to ask ourselves, is there more to life than this? Is there more than I'm living in now? Is there more, God, that you have for me? Saul was a proud Pharisee. I was a proud Marine. Maybe you're a proud, you could fill in the blank. <laughs> and maybe you wear that as a banner, you know. But Jesus, Jesus came to give you life and he gave you, give you life abundantly. And with that comes a new name. With that comes a new identity. I see so many of God's kids pretending to be something that they're not. I, I, I don't know. I mean, growing up in, well, Hispanics are pretty loud when it comes to everything. So um, African-American community can probably identify with this as well. But, you know, when, when, when your kids are, are, are like acting up, especially in public places, you know, you, you hear those kids in, in you know, Hispanic culture being corrected publicly. And one thing I hear is it's like, man, why don't you act like you belong to somebody? <laughs> like you're just unruly. You're crazy. Like act like you belong to somebody. Like know whose kid you are. And that's the same for us, friends. We need to act like we belong to somebody. Saul was running amok. He thought he knew who he belonged to. He had no clue. He needed to start acting like he belonged to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. How many of you have ever seen that movie Hook? With Robin Williams where he plays like a, a grown Peter Pan. It's, it's a cool movie. I mean, it's got Dustin Hoffman in it who plays Captain Hook. I mean, it's a great movie. There's just, there's just one scene. Um, so what happens is Peter Pan comes to our world and falls in love with a girl and decides to stay. So he grows up, right? He grows up and he becomes like a lawyer. So it's a strange premise. But things back in Neverland are getting crazy, right? And so Captain Hook is, is running amok, but Neverland, nobody grows older. You know, it's kind of this fantasy world. And so Tinkerbell comes to our world to kidnap Peter Pan to get him back to you know, Neverland. So she does. She finds a way to kidnap. And, and um, she's played by um, Julia Roberts. So it's a cool movie. <laughs> Takes him back to Neverland. But now he's like this overgrown pan. I mean, he's Robin Williams, you know. And all his, 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 you know, the Lost Boys, they're all like these little kids, 
right? And, but, you know, they're all, like, you know, without parents and these ruddy group of kids. And so they're like, you know, who's this guy? Like, this, kid, this ain't Peter Pan. It doesn't smell like Peter Pan. And they're just, you know, they're upset because they, she brought back, like, this full-grown man. And one of these kids goes up to, it's a beautiful scene. A cutest little black kid goes up to the character Robin Williams and begins to feel his face. Just begins to feel his face. And then he says this, 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 this line, it's, it's, it's a touching line. And she, he goes, oh, there you are, Peter. There you are. And this is what happens when we're found. This is what happens. This is when we sing Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And I feel on that road to Damascus. It's Jesus touching the face of Saul saying, there you are, Saul. There you are. This, this is the man that I've created. This is the man with the purpose that I've created. And he's done this for each and every one of us. When we say yes to Jesus and we say yes to this new identity, he, he wants to touch us and he, he wants us to experience his presence in such an intimate way. And he wants to tell you, there you are. He wants to remind you whose kid you are. John 17, 11, Jesus, the uh, scripture says that Jesus um, has given us his name. And it's the name that his father gave him. It's a high priestly prayer. He says, Lord, I've given them the name that you gave me. Jesus is not only sharing his identity, friends. He's sharing his legacy. He's sharing his inheritance. Can you imagine being named Junior and then you deciding to share that name with others? I mean, being Junior is an honor, right? You're the, you're the, you're the firstborn. Named after your father. But now you're sharing that place with others. This is what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has given us everything that was given to him. Whose name are you carrying today? I think the two questions I asked before kind of lead us to the answers. How did I get here? Lord, is there, is there more than this? The answer to the second question is yes. The answer to the first question, the Holy Spirit needs to reveal that to you. The answer to the third question, Jesus has already answered it. But the question is, have you received it? He's given you his name, a name that he wants you to carry, because with that name comes legacy, with that, with that name comes identity, and it shapes everything that we do. It shapes everything that we are. Saul, as we carry scripture out, or as we follow scripture, we know that he eventually became Paul the Apostle. Secular scholars believe that Paul was one of the five greatest minds to ever walk the planet. This guy wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. The most important piece of literature 
if we were to take the God element out of it. The most important piece of literature to ever be circulated on this planet. Paul the Apostle, who called himself a chief sinner, who, who recognized that he once was lost and needed to be found, who gave his life, as a, poured his life out as a drink offering, who would eventually give his life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there more? Absolutely. Do you want more? Why don't you close your eyes?